0: your attention this morning to John chapter 3, John chapter 3 and verse 30, John chapter 3 and verse 30. We are continuing our study as we have been the last uh, about four weeks or so, three or four weeks, uh, through different aspects of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? That sounds very odd, especially coming from a church context, that should be a given in our day. But as we know, that's not always a given in our day. Most things are not givens in our day uh, the, as they used to be. But uh, bite your intention there, and, and, and as usual, we're not just going to go through a passage. I'll be giving you lots of scripture, so uh, feel free to write those down for later reference. And if you need to, that would be great and wonderful. You know, in in, in trying to think of a great opening illustration for this, I just came back to one question that kept floating through my mind, because we have kids, and they're always exploratory. Scarlett's talking our ear off more than she ever has, and uh, Simeon's not far behind her, and Seth is going to be a year here before too long. He's already almost six months. Time flies. But I wonder when this question comes to me, and maybe it's come to you, where you and how you will answer this question, and it's a big question. But you'll see kids running around much like this, as you'll see up on the screen. And the question may come, especially from a little boy. If you're a granddad, you're a dad, you're an uncle, you're a you're a cousin, and you know a little kid. What if a little boy came up to you and asked, Daddy or granddad or uncle or whatever you are, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? Or what if your precious little granddaughter or your precious little daughter or your, 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 your niece or, or whatever have you came up to you and said, would you help me? What does it mean to be a woman these days? And many of you would sit back and say, oh my goodness, that's a lot of weight, isn't it? And if we're theological, you might start out by saying, well, well little boy, little girl, son, daughter, granddad, whatever, you're made in the image of God. God made you. You're different than the animals. And it points back to him. He wants you to reflect his character and talk about, you might talk about your position in Christ, how as, as a Christian that you are now related to Christ, you've been found in him, you're unified with him. And before you shared that, if they're any little kid, they're probably punching each other and wrestling each other trying to figure out how to get to the next phrase. And that serious conversation goes, oh, just like that. But if you had an ideal foundation about what is a man, daddy, and, and, and can you help me, what is a woman, what would you want to talk about? Would you want to talk about lots of things, wouldn't you? But friends, as we've been studying, the the two things that come to mind is that we're made in the image of God, that each man, each woman is uniquely made in God's image. And isn't that great? You're not like me, I'm not like you. And that's a good thing in, in a lot of respects. God has made you uniquely, but you've been unified with Christ if you've repented and believed the gospel. And that's what we know. But I don't have to tell you how seemingly obvious this is, but lest we forget that even two years ago at the ESPY Awards that Bruce Jenner, many of you remember Bruce Jenner, the decathlete, the the world's greatest athlete in the 1970s became Caitlyn Jenner. You remember this? And he was given an award, or now she, I suppose, uh, Jenner was given an award for the Arthur Ashe Courage Award. And as a Christian, you look back at this and you say, of all the courageous people in the world of sports, some who have handicaps, who, are, who are, are setting world record times, we're giving it to someone who is misidentifying the most basic element that as a church people we take for granted. There are many people who grew up in the church who are now transgender, and we ought to have sympathy and compassion, and we should, for those who are born one way and think another. But to idolize one that had hormone therapy, as the Espies did two years ago, shows that that simple question... Daddy, what is a man? And can you help me? What is a woman these days? Is confused, is it not? What will you tell your little girls? What will you tell your little boys? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Is is it however you want to identify yourself? I mean, I I like the jokes online that, you know, some schools are saying you can be whatever you want to be. And I like people who make themselves a giraffe or an elephant or a, a kupa chabra, if that's even a real thing. course we can't eradicate differences differences cannot be eradicated maybe remind ourselves this morning as we continue the study that God created man Genesis 127 in his image in his image he created them male and female he created them friends God created male and female not to rule as independent king or queen but to rule over in step with how God has made us that why we exist is to carry out his will on this earth Man is to take the primary role as leader in the home according to his giftings, but also wife is supposed to help according to her giftings, equally made, distinct roles. But how do we answer that question? Daddy, what's it mean to be a man? Mama, what's it mean to be a woman? Friends, it's very confusing, isn't it? Many of you have been touched by this question in your own families because you know how deep this goes. And friends, I pray as we continue through our study, especially speaking to the men today, women, you're not off the hook, so to speak, but I want to especially speak to these things. But how you answer that question comes through some rhetorical questions What I want to ask before we even get to the sermon. Friends, do you have, especially men, do you have a gospel that is worth giving out to others? Is how you stand on the word of God worth teaching and preaching from the pulpit, necessarily? Or should the way that you, gentlemen especially, view the gospel be quarantined somewhere over here? Because it's not what it should be. How is your devotional life, men? Men, the biggest question, how we answer this question is how is your devotional life? How is your time with God? Would you want your worst enemy to have the very relationship you have with God currently? What's it mean to be a man, daddy? Friends, it often starts at that very thing. Would you want the whole church to have the godliness that you have? Is your whole style of Christianity worth exporting like a trade off to other countries? Married couples, to answer this question, Daddy, what's it mean to be a man? Mama, what's it mean to be a woman? Do you have a marriage worth exporting? Do you have a marriage that you wish your worst enemy would have, much like a devotional life? Not just what everyone sees, because what you see is not always the case. You remember this from First from, from Samuel chapter 16. David was the, the future king, and Samuel went to all the sons of Jesse, and they were big, strong, mighty men. And God told Samuel, don't look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Not what everyone sees about your marriage, but how you address one another, how you serve one another, and how you preference one another. Do you have a family worth exporting? Or does it need to be quarantined? These are questions I've had to ask myself in preparation for this because before we can answer those little kids' questions, we have to make sure we understand who we are in Christ. Friends, the big idea today is simply this we don't need a new kind of Christianity. We don't need something reinventing the wheel. We need the old past. We need the old past to be our past. We need to be simply about letting the passion and knowing the gospel and letting Christ be known. That's what a man of God does that's what a woman of God does. You say, Darren, well, that's easier said than done. I mean, I'm not perfect in this. Friends, no one said you need to be perfect in this. You said you need to be faithful. That's what God reminds us about. So as we study, as we look at this, we're going to look at one question and three statements this morning. One questions and three statements this morning. And men, I especially want to talk to you because this goes back to especially Men, how we lead in the home, even if we're uh, we're a widower, even if it's been a while since we've had kids in the home, or if we do presently, whatever our situation, or we're single. Men, do you know, and we're going to look at this, that you are a product of paganism, that how we answer that question, Daddy, what is a man, is often more informed by our culture than what is said about in the Word. And I also want to look at, women, we're going to get to you the next couple weeks, but men, especially this morning, a biblical man has a great love. A great passion and a great commission. Before we read John 3.30, just one verse or kind of a launching pad today into this study, I want to remind you that getting this right is so important. What is a man? What is a woman? It affects how you understand God. It affects the gospel. It affects how you express your sexuality. How you understand a man or a woman. Express how you love your spouse. How you thrive as a single. How you train your children. Friends, this involves so much. How would you answer that question? Daddy, what's it mean to be a man? Mama, what's it mean to be a lady? Will you join me in standing this morning as we read through John chapter 3 and verse 30? One question, three statements this morning. May this be your prayer. No matter where you're at in this journey, maybe you're a non-Christian visiting. Thank you so much. We'll, We'll speak to you a little later on in the service. But especially if you are a Christian here, would you make this your prayer? This is John the Baptist speaking. This is him uh, talking about Christ. But, friends, this is the prayer of every biblical man especially and every lady. And here it is. And you can memorize this. You can take this home after lunch. He, Jesus, John speaking, must increase, but I must decrease. Will you say that with me? He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before your word this morning looking at various passages. It's not our usual routine. Well, Lord, we're we're very much, we want to preach verse by verse, but Father, topically today, we come to your word. Father, may, as we ask these questions, may they be introspective. But Father, may they not just be, that would be nice to attain. But Father, may these truly be realities in our lives. Father, as we look, especially at the men today, may may the ladies in the congregation be encouraged to see godliness in our men. May, May they pray for that. May men in this congregation, whether they are new to this concept or this is old hat, may we remember that everything here in the scriptures is worthwhile. Father, you are worthy because Christ died for our sins. Even if he didn't die, you're still worthy. But Father, we can recognize you as such because we now have access to you through Christ. Father, we pray these things to the glory, honor, and majesty of your name. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. may be seated. Thank you. As I was preparing this, I want you to know that as I wrote down these things and kept going over them over and over and over in my mind this week, I I want you to know that I want to talk about what a biblical man is. Friends, we talked about a lot of different things. Last week we looked at what is the gospel and how that informs what a biblical man and woman should be. But men especially want to speak to you about this because to answer the opening question starts with us men. That is our call. We are called by God to carry out his will on this earth, primarily as leaders in the home, in the church, and in society. Women, let me remind you, it's been a couple weeks since we said it. This does not mean you're second-class citizens. Rather, it means that God has called you to a certain realm role in life. But men, do you realize that you are a product, that I am a product of paganism? So much of the baggage of paganism is things that we carry in are not truly biblical, often we talk about free will, but I want to remind you there's only one being who is totally free, and that is God himself. God is absolutely free to do what he wants. Psalm 103.5 says the Lord is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Friends, we have no more free will than anything that you think. You say, well, Darren, what about God's sovereignty? What about Calvinism? What about Arminianism? That's a rabbit for another day, amen? But I will tell you this, We are not free as we think we are free. We are slaves to sin. We are products of whatever comes our way. No one can move God but God. We are still going through a change by God's Holy Spirit, and in a sense, saved as we are, men, we are chained to this culture. How much of me is really Christian? Men, have you ever thought about that? And how much of me is really pagan? Older men who are not brand new to the faith, how often do we read through these Bible verses and just say, you know, I've read that before, read that before, read that before, before long? Your Bible collects a lot of dust on it, doesn't it? Because we have thought that if we've read it one time, that we have gotten everything that we need out of it, how much of me is actually wanting to do those things? Friends, we live in a post Christian culture. What that means is, is that we have principles and lifestyles that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. You know, can I, can I, can I chase a little rabbit here for just a second? I, this is always a big uh, youth group debate. You know, should, should, uh, should there be a certain swimsuit you wear or should there not be? Do you know a hundred years ago that was not even ever a question? That sounds funny, isn't it? Some of you who remember, even 100 years ago, some of these things that come up today, and and we're not going to get into that debate from the pulpit. That's not the purpose. But what I'm saying is, over time, friends, we used to live in a moral, cultural, Christian, Protestantism culture, but that has faded away for many, many years. Friends, Christians are now in the minority. Our way of thinking is definitely in the minority. And as we are more in the minority, and, and as easily susceptible as we are to culture, men, we have adopted things, done things, thought things that are not godly. Men are either effeminate to the point where are they pleasure loving people that live for themselves. Friends, it is a great reminder in this very first short point that what you live and believe is largely shaped by whom you fear. Everything in your life is fearing something you work a certain way at work because you are afraid of the annual review at the end of the year. And that's a good and healthy thing. You should work hard to the Lord, but not fearing men as people-pleasers, Colossians says, but fearing God, who is your master. What you fear informs how you live. If you fear the IRS, you're going to hide every every sort of taxes that you can from the IRS, even though uh, God says, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. If you fear, uh, I remember fearing baseball. I hated baseball those balls come at have you ever thought about this someone's throwing a ball at you 70 miles an hour at your head if that doesn't make you squirm a little bit it should and so I remember that and my dad was so you know we uh he wanted me to hit the ball so much but I would just stand in the back corner of that that little box and I would just say strike one strike two strike three yes it's over let me go sit down (laughs) praise the lord because I feared my dad, I sure did, but I also feared that baseball more than I feared my dad. Because I knew if that thing hit me, it's going to hurt. My dad will my dad'll, my dad'll forgive me, that baseball won't, that welt will stay with me. Whom you fear really does show what's there. Men, as we've talked through especially what a biblical man is, I pray, I pray that your desires, our desires are, and hopes and dreams are shaped by God's spirit and his word. You know, what if your son came to you and said, what's it mean to be a, 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 a man, Dad? Fathers, grandfathers, would you be okay telling them that it's okay if, if God calls you to go be a missionary somewhere and you die for the sake of Christ that I still love you? But what about college? What, what about the four-year plan? I mean, you've got to get a good job, you've got to get a good education, you've got to do all these things. Gentlemen, if that's our view of how we should raise our kids, then we are fearing more of the future than we realize some of you may have people come to you, some of the greatest restrictions to missionary activity in the world are parents who have a greater ideal, they believe, than God has a plan for that young kid's life. Whom you fear shapes who you fear or what you fear. Men, would you pray as you lead, as we've talked through and as you'll hear over the coming weeks, that your fear would be the Lord. We trust not in chariots. You want to know my political stance? I trust not in chariots or horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord my God. That's what we know. And men, that's the same when you answer that question. What does it mean to be a man? Men, would you repent, as I've had to this week, of pagan thinking in ways that we have been men? That if I just provide for for my wife, that I've done everything to care for her and my kids. That if I just put food on the table, boom, I've done my job. Let me go sit and and watch TV or, or Internet all night and be how it is. I've had to repent of that. Men, I don't know what it is for you. You have different things in your life at different stages, but one thing I do know is that you are shaped, as am I, by this culture. So what does a biblical man look like? Let me give you three aspects, okay? We'll go through these quickly. This is not a deep study. This is not, not going to rival uh, some people at the seminary, but I want this, men especially, for this to speak to your heart. I can't change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. But I pray that as you look at these things, that you see and ask, is that me, Lord? If it's not, make this me what is a biblical man? How do we fight paganism? First thing you do is a biblical man has a great love. A biblical man has a great love. Men, have you ever thought about when your wife and your kids or your, your grandkids look at you and they say, what is it about him? What do they see? Do they see that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Uh, that they see that you use your strength more than just a weekend getaway, more than just getting the best new toy, more than whatever it is? Do they see that your mind is focused on the best for them? Do they see that your heart wants to, above all things, glorify God? Men, do you have a great love? You do if you're married. you have a great love? You've married the love of your life. But men, do you have a great love, a strength, that you will, they will see you use your strength for God instead of a vain pursuit? You know, I think of William Carey, the great missionary to India. He spent over seven years waiting for the first person to come to Jesus Christ. Wow. We waited 30 for a Royals championship, and you were still on the edge of your seat. Seven years for someone to come to know Christ. And do you know his wife, bless her heart, she had so much trouble. You can read all about this when they transitioned. Nelson, I knew I'd have trouble with this thing, and here I am. So we got it fixed, I think. But do you know, his wife had so much trouble. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And he kept reminding her, the Lord has called us here. The Lord has put us here. And his wife would often question everything that he did. But one thing she could not question is that he was zealous about the love of God. He cared for his family. There are some people who are so zealous to do ministry that they neglect their family. And that's not what Carrie did. But he was so enamored when that one person came to Christ. His heart rejoiced, and his wife could then look at him and see that all that he was trying to, to show their family with was that he was trying to love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, and mind, because God was his great love. Men, do you love God so much that you're tired? I don't want to tell you what's wrong and not give you a solution, so how do you love God so much that he's your great love? It's not by pulling yourself up. Only one way to do this is even when you don't feel like it, men, you remember that God is your strength. You know, I'm married to a wonderful woman for almost a decade, and even she has imperfections. And wives, you know you have imperfections too, but uh, my wife and, 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 and men, all of our wives, we're, and we're not always compatible, but one thing I can say is I've come to love Natalie more than ever because I've seen her more out, out of God's eyes than anything else. My love for her was not based necessarily on what she does for me. I'm learning day and day and day. It's based on what God is forming in her. Friends, I know more about my wife now than I've ever known. More about Oklahoma, praise the Lord, than I've ever known before. But I love her, and I care for her. And if you are truly saved, man, the more you will love God, the more you will know about him. Just as your wife doesn't, you don't just say, oh man, we got married, woo! now I can just go do my own thing. No, the more you know about your wife, the more you want to love her. Is that not true, gentlemen? Your wife is a mystery. Amen, ladies? In a good way. But at the same time, the more you seek to chase after her in ways and things, how she thinks, what she does, friends, is the same way men, especially in your relationship with God. Men, how do you love God to a great love? You love him because you know more of him. You love him because you're not satisfied just because you took a class one time or you did a Bible study one time or whatever it is. That's why we need to be reminded that we need to take advantage of every opportunity to know Christ, to think of Christ, to speak of Christ and reflect Christ as you'll see up there on the screen. Men, that is your great love. Your great love is to make Christ known in your family, to make Christ known in everything that you do. That's why in John 3 30, when he says he must increase and I must decrease, it means that I see more of Christ in my life, not just more head knowledge, but you want him exalted, not you. You don't care about your name. You don't care about your reputation. You don't care that this guy's doing this and he's achieving this and he did this. And man, his Facebook photos make him look like more of a man than I am. Because if you are focused on Christ, you know it's not about you anymore. It's all about him and how he's using you in your family our great problem in biblical manhood is not that we don't know what a man should be it's that we don't know the god of the man that we should be we teach about god's beauty his glory his power and his excellencies but men to be a good man to be a good husband to be a good father to be a churchman to be a good worker be a good witness to the worker or witness to the world you need to know more of this god that's where the love starts Christ was a man, our Savior, God-man, and he loved his Father, and, lo- and his Father loved him. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, you know this. Say it with me if you know it. He said, pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we'll cut it there. Men, do those words burn in your heart? Do you desire that God would be hallowed, that he would have a holiness everywhere he goes, that his will would be done? I mean, I've had several women come up to me and and great questions. You say, well, Darren, how can I submit to a man who when every time I look at him, he burns for his kingdom, his will, his everything, how do I submit to that man? And ladies, some of you and I have had a conversation. I say, you can't submit to that man in the way that you should. Why? Because that man has gotten off being a self-centered person to the point at which he now is not seeking after his kingdom or God's kingdom, but he's seeking after him. Men, we need to sleep, drink, and be the will of God in our homes, not just at church, but everywhere we go. Men, as you are seeking after the great love of your life, Jesus Christ, that's when the lady folk look at you and say, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. Men, Is your great love to make Christ Lord of your life, and make him known wherever you go. Let's look at a second aspect. Biblical man also has a passion. Biblical man also has a passion. Friends, do you desire to be that man who seeks first the kingdom? I I pray that you are. But one thing that we have so gotten in American culture, we've gotten to this place in preaching in general where we say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Man, do you realize that that wonderful plan for your life sometimes is not what you thought it would be? How many guys, when they're 18 years old, think that they're going to end up changing diapers for the rest of their lives and working at a what seems like a dead-end job for the rest of their lives? But you know what? Godliness is formed in every one of those stinky diapers. Godliness is formed in every one of those dead night shifts when no one else is around, and it's just you and God, and, and that's all you got. Friends, there's a lot of great passions. I was passionate about marathon running 10 years ago. That was a, that's a unique stage of life, let me tell you. A lot of miles, a lot of hours, a lot of things out there. And I remember thinking, and I, you've heard me say this often, if I could just do this, this lady's going to really like me. If they can watch me run 26 miles, yes, I'm going to get a wife. That's how it works, right? Amen? that's how it works. I remember being so passionate about marathon running that even in seminary, the, the marathon running overtook my relationship with God. It overtook my relationship with my studies God gave me, my job, even my family. And I remember being so passionate that I'd spend hours on the road and I was in the best shape of my life. I could drop miles, you know, 430 miles in the middle of an 18 mile run and do that by God's glory. But God had to remind me, Darren, what is your passion Is your passion to run so hard and so fast that some lady's going to look and say, oh, wow, where'd you come from? Oh, I just ran 18 miles. (laughs) Or is your passion that Christ is everything that you do? Men, we often get so passionate about our hobbies, don't we, that we forget that sometimes the greatest hobbies that we have are the things that we need to get rid of most. Men, what is your great passion? What really is your great passion? The Bible is very clear that in all of our preaching, God does love us. He does have a wonderful plan, but that wonderful plan may not fit the American ideal. Because men, the great passion you should have is the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ. If your passion is not set upon making Jesus in every aspect of you have, then, then, then you have nothing. Sell all you have and let nothing stand in the way. You know, big fellas in here, and we have some big muscular fellas in here. You know, any one of you could take me out at any point. I think you know that, Right? I'm not as fast or as strong or as enduring as I used to be, for sure. But you put me in a lake. You put me in Smithville Lake just up the road, and I can't swim. That's an honest confession. I can't. I can't swim to save my life. So if I'm drowning and you big fellas are like, let's go save the pastor, you know what? All three of you are going to come out there. And there's going to be so much fear and desperation coming from me and adrenaline that by myself I might drown all three of you. You couldn't pry me off with a crowbar. Why? Why? Because I'm dying, and this is the third time people are trying to help me, and I'm not going to let go. Even if the thing I'm holding on to will sink, I'm not letting go of you. We're going down together, big men. Men, it is not powerful men. It's not strong men. It's not valiant men. It's not those who make headway in the kingdom. It's desperate men who know they have nothing in their lives but Jesus Christ. May our passion for Christ always be greater than our passion for a pleasant and easy life. That is what you need to know. And that's going to be up on the screen if you want to write that down. But this is all we have is Christ, men. To the wind with being best at your job. To the wind with seeking the promotion. To the wind with vain, carnal pursuits. And that's not always sinful. But people will say, you should be fanatical for Jesus. Yes, you should be. And there is a proper way to be fanatical. And But anyone who has true knowledge will be fanatical in the eyes of this world. Men, if you want to be the men God's called you to be, you can't be half-hearted about Jesus Christ. He can't just be something you do on Sunday and you leave everything else to bear. That's why when John says, he must increase and I must decrease, everything goes back to that. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Men, do you have a concept of eating and drinking water to the glory of God? Is it possible to drink a glass of water to the glory of God? Boy, if you were outside yesterday, you would believe it, wouldn't you? First hot day we had, God, be praised. There's some water. Do your children, do your grandchildren, men, sense that in you? Is there a wildness? And I use that word, wildness, in the sense of biblical restraint, yes. But is there a wonder about your Christianity? Or do you remember that everything that you do has a point to what you do? Friends, God said that those men that would seek after him, John four thirty four. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was tired men. He was thirsty. He hated, he was hated, and so many things. But in America today, we are so prosperous. We are the most prosperous Christians ever to live on this earth. Do you realize that? You can go to any bookstore. You can go to any Christian conference, and it's all about we're empty. We need something new. We need something to feed us. We need all those sorts of things. Men, do you realize that Jesus said his food was to do the will of the Father? Because you are new creation, men, you've been walking now in the newness of life. It means they can give you the whole world. They can give you all the riches. They can give you all the ladies. They can give you all the wealth. They can give you all the fame, and you can still be as empty as a water bottle on a hot summer day sitting out in the parking lot. You've been too high a creature now to be satisfied with such lowly things. I mean, let me put, you, let me put it this way. You know, if, if there was a man, that, let's say there's a, a short little guy, three, foot, three feet tall, 28 pounds, and he comes up and says, Darren, I'm going to fight you. And for once in my life, I'm like, all right, bring it on. <laughs> but I actually don't do that. I go and cower back here in the baptismal because that's the safest place around here apparently. And then a seven foot man comes and he's, I mean, he's got muscles coming out of his nose and his ears and everything else. And, and, and I have to make a choice. Who am I going to fight? I can pick the muscle bound guy or the three foot 28 pound guy. doesn't matter how afraid or cowardly I am. The coward I have, the coward is if I have to fight, I'm going to jump on that little guy, right? Friends, you are the little guy. There's a fear of man about us. I have to deal with you or we've got to deal with God. Friends, we have to at some point recognize that the whole world could throw whatever it is at us. But if we don't fear God, we're not going to have a biblical love. We're not going to have a biblical passion as we ought. Christianity is not just a bunch of John Wayne shooting around, shooting them up and killing Friends, if the whole army came against God, it's like a gnat against a granite wall. Men who are passionate biblically aren't just flying off the handle. It's not just revving them up. It's not just like, all right, man, give me a chest bump right now. Boom! It's not like, let's go, guys, come on. That's not what biblical manhood is. Biblical manhood is knowing that Jesus so died for you that you're willing to give your greatest passion only for him. And to your wife, and to your kids if you have them, your grandkids, whatever it is, Your church. That's what it is. You can get revved up for a lot of things. You know, if you go, if you ever go to a Chiefs game and you're not revved up, I don't know what to tell you, right? You go to a concert and you don't feel the, the bass and all that stuff, you should get revved up. Rockfest Dave, as we were talking about, all that stuff. What's a biblical man get revved up about? He gets revved up that Jesus Christ died for his soul. Man, is that your great passion? Is that your great love? Let's go to the last point. It's about knowing God. I want to remind you of that. It's about knowing God, friends. That's where it's at. Do you have a great passion for that? It is not revving yourself up. It's not trying to be some Superman. It's not trying to be those great things. But you know, let me let me illustrate it this way. I was saying about this with the wedding with Luke and Michaela, and and, and you know uh, how often men. Do you remember when you first met your wife? I've asked that a few times the last few weeks. Do you remember when you first met your wife? If her father would have asked you to walk on water, you would have tried to find a way to be just like Jesus, right? But if your parents would have said, you know, you need to find a way to walk on water, you would have said, no, I'll do it later. Or if your boss would have said, you need to find a way to walk on water, you would have said, oh, well, I'm getting a different job. But when that lady came up to you, do you remember? You would have walked up, you would have jumped off the highest mountain without a parachute for her if she asked you to. Why? You would swim oceans because you became a prisoner of her Love, didn't you, gentlemen? And Paul was such that way. Peter was such that way. John was such that way. To be a biblical man is not so much about being revved up. It's about seeing Christ and making him known. Men, is that your great passion? Is that your great passion? Christianity is seeing him as the great pearl and saying, I want nothing else. Let's close with this. A biblical man has a great love. He has a great passion while still being a product of the culture and paganism, but he also has a great commission, a great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 reminds us, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the very end of age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Men, you say, what does this have to do with me? Men, to be a biblical man, we need to see your scars. What has the great commission of Jesus Christ cost you, men? What is the great commission to make Christ known across the world, across your street, across your cubicle, across your workbench? What does it cost you the work of mission is twofold, as it's been said by the old dead guys long ago. You're either going down in the well, you're either one who's going somewhere on mission, you're a formal missionary, or you hold the rope that goes up without gloves. And I don't know about you with my with my uh, uh, my uh, you know uh, silky hands here that I, I, they never really get dirty too often. If you're pulling a rope, what's going to happen to your hands? You get some scars, aren't you? Either way, if you're going down in the well to be a missionary, so to speak, or you're holding the rope for those who are, your hands are going to be scarred. Men, what has the Great Commission cost you? What have you sacrificed for Jesus and his kingdom? What have you given? What have you said for him? It's a great reminder, as Nelson will put up there, that we need to labor for the kingdom's advance and the Great Commission. He gives us a task, and please don't waste your life, men. Men, don't waste your life. Life is so short. It, 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 men at war they become heroes it's not men who sit on the sidelines it's men who go to war and that's what you were called to do and be as a christian men militant militia but not fighting with carnal weapons but you have the gospel of jesus christ you have prayer you have sacrificial love and you're no longer just going to go to be some church and listen to darren bore you to tears for 42 minutes each week you are going to war men Because you know that you've been uniquely called to lead the charge of the Great Commission around the world. Can your children and your wife, your grandkids, can they see within you eternally that you want to please Christ above all else? Can they see that you're doing whatever is necessary to win souls for Jesus Christ? What an honor that is. You know, what, wouldn't it be a thing that as you were in your study, if you have a study, uh, or whatever your, your quiet place is, and your kids or your grandkids were staying over, and they, they were going downstairs to get a drink, it's hot outside, and it's late in the night, and they see your light on, they think that's unusual, why is, why is he up, what's he doing? And if your kids, men, caught you praying, Lord, Lord, you promised that you would save the nations, Lord, you promised that your name would be hallowed in every corner of the earth, but Lord, there are millions, billions of people that don't know you. Lord, fulfill your promise to your people. Send forth missionary, send forth me, Lord, and they hear you crying out for the nations. What would that do to your children, men? Wouldn't that change their perspective? Wouldn't that challenge them to see that this life is not just about having a straight-A student kid, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not about having every sport you know that uh, I used to work in college athletics. You know, ten percent of all high school athletics actually go into college, and less than one half of one percent of college players actually go into professionals, and less than one fourth of one half percent actually make pros for at least one year in anything that they do. But how often, men, do we allow sports, we allow pursuits, we allow things to overtake our families so much that church is squeezed out that godliness is squeezed out. Well, we don't have time to read the Bible today. We've got to go to this, 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 and this. And again, I wrote these notes to myself, men. Men, God may call you not to be a missionary, but our God is sovereign enough, and I believe it to be true, that if God calls you to change diapers for the rest of your life for your kids, uh, well, that would be, you know, let's hope they get potty trained, but all those good things. But in all seriousness, if God called you to simply be a faithful man that no one knew your name about, no one knew who you were, no one cared who you were, no one—you weren't on Twitter, you weren't on Facebook, you weren't on the preaching circuit, you weren't on—you uh, know, GQ with "Look at me, I'm a godly, biblical man, and I, I know it, and uh, and I'm, I'm going to show it." You know, if God called you just to be faithful to your wife, just to be a godly husband to your wife and a godly father to your kids, would you be okay with that? The world will tell you that you have to do this and do this and do this to really be a man, but all God says is take care of my family. Be faithful to your church. Don't be a superstar. If God calls you to be a superstar, great. Look, I I posted on Facebook the other day, "Who's who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I don't know if we ever have a debate to that. If God called you at your age to go and be better than those people, then praise God. But I tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest basketball player. What matters in eternity is have you shared Christ with all the people in front of you. Is that where you are, men, today? Let me close with a couple application points, and we'll close out. Before I do, let me just give you one more illustration I put in my notes I think is worthwhile. You know, people will often come and say, Pastor, I need to get my marriage fixed. And as a pastor, I have to sometimes, and many of you have been in this position before in other schemes, you have to ask them the question, Why? Why do you want your marriage? Why do you want to fight this addiction? Well, because my wife wants me to, or I want to be a good husband, or whatever it is. Friends, that's idolatry. I want a good marriage because Jesus Christ died for me. I want to be a good husband because Christ gave his life for me. I want to be a good father because it's all about him. And if you're an employee and they ask you, why are you such a good employee? Why do, you do, why do you do a good job? And you say, I do it for him, sir. I do it for him. Who's him? Christ. And they say, look, buddy, if you keep talking like that, you're going to be the first pink slip out the door. And you know what you say? If you fire me, it'll be for him. If you kill me here at this job after 40 years in the factory, then let it be for him. Because the Great Commission demands otherwise. Let me close with these application points. Nelson, if you just want to put them all up on the screen, that'd be great. Thank you. Men, let you be reminded today, the world's greatest need for me is to be a man that I be more like Christ. Some of you have asked, Darren, can I get about ten principles to be a better man? And those are good, but friends, can I just ask you the simple question? Is your heart set on being more like Jesus Christ? That's what it's about. As a pastor, I want to grow professionally. I want to grow ministerially. And there's all those things that you learn. But my my heart of hearts is I want to be more like Christ. You know what my family's problem is? I'm not more like Christ. You want to know what my wife's problem is? Guess what? I'm not more like Christ. Do you know what my kid's problem is? I'm not more like Christ. Do you know what the world's problem is? What? I'm not more like Christ. Darren, that's an awful big weight to put on your shoulders. It's not all about me, but friends, as I seek to live out what God has called me to be, I want nothing less than what he wants me to be. Do you see that difference? Secondly, you don't have to violate one aspect of your life to obey in one aspect of your life. Friends, men especially, you say, well, Darren, I've got to provide for my family over here, and that means I can never serve in the church over here because I have to work 90 hours over here to be able to provide over here. Friends, Men, would you be willing to give up your promotion if it meant you could serve in your church for something that God's called you to serve in? Whew. Gut check time. Would you be willing to trade in whatever your big toy is if God says sell that because there's a missionary who needs that money right now? The man who wants to be focused on Christ will struggle through that decision because he's still human. Amen? But at the end of the day, the thought will be, Lord, whatever it takes, let your name be glorified. Friends, you do not have to. I'm not calling everyone to missions here. Aaron's going to, we're going to pray for Aaron here about 20 minutes. Aaron's going to be going on mission to New Hampshire. You know, as a single, you get to do all those cool things. You know, wouldn't it be awesome, married people, if you could just jump out and be like, whoa, I'm going to put my wife and my kids to the side. I'm going to go do all these great things for God. But do you know what your greatest church is, men? It's whoever's over your home right now. Your church is the people right in front of you and men? lastly sin is your greatest problem but grace is your deepest need men some of the biggest things and hindrances to us living out being biblical men comes back to pride throw it on the gospel fire who cares what people think of you for being a christian who cares what people think of you for standing for christ who cares guys it doesn't matter anymore I will confess, as a young pastor, it's often easy to get in the rat race of, well, this pastor's doing this, this pastor's doing that, and God has reminded me time and time again through this study, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Men, you don't need to be superstars. You just need to be faithful, faithful, faithful. And that is enough. Let's pray.